And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And it is a great day for the American Alliance. The Alliance of 31 Nations in NATO, seen to, soon to be 32, uh, with the addition of Sweden, which we talked about yesterday, now being admitted to NATO, uh, there is a triumph that actually could be celebrated in a speech the president is scheduled to give from Vilnius, where NATO is meeting. He's scheduled to speak tomorrow. Uh, what should he say? What is he likely to say? And should Ukraine be the 33rd nation welcome to the NATO alliance? Nobody better to speak to about that than uh, one of the noble Americans who has done so much to serve our country. Uh, General Barry McCaffrey is a four-star U.S. Army general, retired, four combat tours, three Purple Heart Awards. He's with the Council on Foreign Relations and the Inter-American Dialogue. Uh, you see his opinions based upon his military experience and national security experience on TV all the time, on NBC News and MSNBC. Uh, general McCaffrey... Is this a, a great day for America to celebrate the expansion of the alliance? Well, I think you set it up quite correctly. It's simply astonishing to those of us who have watched NATO over the years, which is, we need to remind ourselves, a political alliance with military backing. And its purpose is deterrence of war, particularly from the east with Russia. And so, as you've stated, adding uh, Sweden, which will soon come to pass, having overcome Turkey's objectives and having Finland join the alliance, and probably even more importantly, jogging uh, the big nations of Europe, which is Germany, France, and, uh, and the U.K., that they need to uh, re-equip their military forces. They nearly totally disarmed. Germany fell apart from a very uh, credible military deterrence force in the 1980s to today when they're basically have almost no military value. So it's good news for peace in Europe and for U.S. national security objectives. Well, I, I, you mentioned military value. The Swedish Navy, which is now added to NATO, is formidable, isn't it? Well, I think its addition to NATO is probably its biggest gift. Both Sweden and Finland actually went heavily to reserve structures. Um, I think both of them need to re-examine their immediate military capability. I think NATO will be very reluctant to put any substantial forces, boots on the ground in either Finland or, or Sweden as they join this alliance. So they've clearly got to, again, uh, re-gauge uh, what's needed now that we, all of us in NATO, understand the real threat of Russian expansionism. And concerning the real threat of Russian expansionism, I, I know because I, I try to listen to you, uh, you are not in favor of the immediate admission of Ukraine into NATO, which President Zelensky seems to want. Why not? Well, I was surprised. Zelensky has shown such uh, incredible personal courage and political and diplomatic skills uh, 
rallying NATO support, which was not a given uh, to, to support their fight against uh, Putin's uh, criminal invasion. I think now Zelensky is pushing on a locked door. There is zero possibility of having the 31 nations of NATO decide to ex- uh, deliberately express support for uh, immediate admission to NATO or even to commit themselves, uh, you know, out and out to providing that in the near term. Um, it's just astonishing. We're not going to enter an air ground sea war against Russia. That would be foolhardy. Uh, Zelensky and Ukraine are getting tens of billions of dollars of support in humanitarian, economic, and military aid. So he's getting everything he can get from NATO except active participation in the war. That's not going to happen. I think he's out over his skis on this one. Uh, President Trump says repeatedly that uh, once he's president, he will uh, end the war in 24 hours. Uh, do you believe there is a, a a chance that takes advantage of our national interest and actually does bring a rapid, quick, abrupt end to this horrible war? Uh, of course not. I mean, God help us if Trump is the, ever the president again. I think what would be very likely was that his solution would be immediately cut off all further aid to both NATO and Russia, in which case it would be hard to to understand how that would serve uh, U.S. national interest, never mind the disaster of an immediate collapse of Ukraine in all likelihood, with tens of millions of refugees spread throughout Europe. So, I mean, the problem is that no war gets ended by diplomatic uh, measures. It gets ended on the battlefield, and then diplomacy locks into place somebody's wins and somebody's losses. And Zelensky, quite correctly, is saying, hey, I'm not willing to to acknowledge giving up 25% of Ukraine's sovereign territory. At some point, if this counteroffensive is successful, one would imagine that then there'll be a diplomatic negotiation on, you know, is Ukraine actually going to get Crimea back? I think not. Uh, nor necessarily will it get back all the eastern Donbass region. But to say that now publicly would be, uh, a, you know, ending a war on, under conditions in which Putin would then start the war again three to five years from now. That needs to be avoided. And uh, you think that uh, Putin, uh, despite the survival of Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh, that Putin will be there three to five years from now? Um, that's a good question. I think it's unlikely he's going to survive in the longer run now. He's uh, shown great weakness, uh, illogical uh, uh, attention to dealing with his internal politics. He doesn't know if his own security forces will actually support him in a confrontation with the Wagner Group. You know, a brigade-sized unit, no more than 8,000 Wagner mercenaries, drove up the road to uh, toward Moscow and damn near got there with very little resistance by, the, by any of the Russian security forces. You know, he captured the operational headquarters of the entire Russian force uh, fighting in Ukraine and in uh, Rostov on Don, and basically nobody resisted. So Putin's trying to figure out how much power he's got internally. 
he's in an economic disaster. I don't think there's any question about that. Dr. Snyder up at Yale University and his colleagues have documented that. Uh, he's, in a, he's a political pariah internationally. Uh, ten, hundreds of thousands of his own young men have fled Russia, refusing to fight in this war. Um, it's hard to see how he gets out of this. Um, and by the way, Putin being gone won't necessarily mean peace with the West either. Uh, the national, if I listen to Russian state TV translated at night, and it's astonishing what they're telling their own people. Utter madness. We're going to employ nuclear weapons against Berlin, against Paris, against London and Washington, D.C. They're saying this stuff publicly. I've dealt with the Russians a lot. I've never heard them talk irresponsibly like that in, in earlier years. So Russia's in a very unstable, dangerous, uh, screwed up mess. Well, it, again, there's a long, long history. I, I just did a column about that, about Russia being a, a, a screwed up, dangerous uh, mess. Um, uh, General McCaffrey, appreciate uh, your service in media and uh, as, as somebody who can talk sensibly about our national security and some of the challenges that we face. Not everybody is talking sensibly about it. Some examples of uh, a, a non-sensible speech. Well, there's one uh, involving an exchange with Pierce Morgan. We'll get to that and more coming up on the MedVet Show. Michael Medved show. Uh, one of the people who is um, not a supporter of American support for Ukraine, somebody who has a an extremely hostile attitude toward President Zelensky, is uh, Roseanne Barr, and uh, the fact that she is still some kind of a celebrity. She recently made news because. She apparently was was trying to make a series of jokes, but uh, she was insisting that the Holocaust was invented, that it didn't really happen, and that, of course, is always a terrific laugh-getter. Uh, now she uh, was on with Pierce Morgan, and uh, I don't really understand why she's given time like this. Uh, Jeremy... Uh, <laughs> I don't think I would welcome Roseanne, who I've known for years, uh, on this show under any circumstances. But uh, she has now changed from saying the Holocaust didn't happen, that it was all made up, to saying that uh, her family was killed by Ukrainian Nazis. And uh, this is clip 8A. They cannot hold two disparate ideas in their head at the same time because they're fed bull 24-7 over the media. And I'm mm. about to go crazy sitting here on the earphone hearing the stuff you all are saying about the Ukraine. I'm about to have a heart attack, but I'm not even going to go into it. I'm from the Ukraine. The Ukrainian... The Ukrainian... The, there is a large faction of Nazis. I don't know if you know this, but there's a large amount of Nazis in the Ukraine, and they actually 
killed my whole family. Um, I'm from the Ukraine, and they marched my entire family, grandmothers, great-grandparents, oh, ten yeah, siblings, look. out into the forest and buried them alive in the Ukraine. So I don't understand why everybody's Ukraine. Ukra well, I do understand, and that's also what terrifies me. People better wake up and do some research on their own instead of buying what comes across on the screen. And I try I mean, to shake them up, Pierce, you're right I do. I try to shake them up and crack their, their mind control programming. I do it for God. Uh, she does it for God? Uh, by the way, uh, you can look it up. There are about 7 million Ukrainians who died in World War II. And uh, were there some Nazi sympathizers in Ukraine and people who helped the Nazis and helped uh, with the slaughter at Babi Yar, which might be what Roseanne and her uh, cracked way was referring to? Uh, it, but then it gets worse because <laughs> Roseanne Barr, of all people, has taken it upon herself to uh, speak out publicly on who is a good Jew and who is not. Is that appropriate position for her to take? This is a clip 8B. You haven't seen the swastikas on those soldiers' arms? It's in the news. Zelensky himself is Jewish, so obviously he is de facto not a Nazi. I know, but he's not a good one. Are, are, are all Jews the same? For God's sake, talk about anti-Semitic. Just because the guy's a Jew doesn't mean he likes Jews or that he's doing anything good for the Jews. I mean, so what? Who cares what anybody is? That was the whole point of my tweet. Just because they're just because they're skin folk, don't mean they're kin folk. You know what I mean? Just because they're the same color as you, don't mean they ain't trying to lock your ass up. Wake up, people! Snap out of it. Okay. Okay. I've I've talked to people who work with the Jewish community in Ukraine. And uh, the Jewish community in Ukraine, there's a chief rabbi of Ukraine who's, who's really heroic. He was actually uh, born in Russia, then uh, lived in Israel, then came to Ukraine, which is where his ancestry is from, and has been uh, just a leader in terms of uh, charitable operations for both Ukrainian Jews and Ukrainian Christians. And uh, his name is Osman, is Rabbi Osman, who's a remarkable person. And the this idea that you're trying to build a career as a comedian with this this material at a time when the level of suffering is so serious among Ukrainians who are dedicated to fighting for principles that we in the United States. Uh, do tend to honor um, the uh, concerning Ukraine's future. Uh, the Jen Stoltenberg, who had a tremendous victory with the admission of Sweden and uh, of Finland into NATO, he is the Secretary General of NATO. Uh, spoke about the idea of uh, Ukraine entering uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, now that uh, Sweden is there and Finland, and uh, that's clip 17. An invitation for Ukraine to join NATO when allies agree and conditions are met. 
This is a strong package for Ukraine and a clear path towards its membership in NATO. Okay, there is a strong path for its clear membership in NATO, but not now. And this is what President Biden has said. As in the middle of a war, uh, you can't, and that General McCaffrey was making this point, is Article 5 of NATO says that if uh, there is an attack on one of the NATO members, then it's considered an attack on all the NATO members. That's why NATO sent a significant number of troops, uh, Dutch troops and British troops and Canadian troops and more, they sent them uh, to help us in Afghanistan. And uh, because there was a idea that the United States had been attacked on September 11th. And uh, while Ukraine is at war trying to affirm its own national identity, obviously this is not the time when you can all of a sudden bring these other 30 nations to war. Uh, Joe Scarborough uh, <laughs> reacted to something we played on the air yesterday about how um, a Trump who says he could make peace in 24 hours, well, he had a chance to make peace, and uh, Zelensky commented on that. Uh, we, will, we will get to that more. There's also a, a commentator on television who is comparing President Biden to uh, FDR, to Eisenhower, and uh, talking about the heroic achievements of uh, Joe Biden. Is that a setup for his big speech tomorrow night? We'll also be covering, coming up, the high-speed rail scam, a disastrous scam in the state of California. And now, for reasons that completely escape logic, they are wanting to bring it to the state of Washington. One of the reasons that this election will be so important for a new governor, God willing, the first Republican governor in well, it's going to be the first Republican governor in 44 years. Is that amazing? Uh, we will get to that and to more coming up on The Medved Show. great things about this job is uh, all of a sudden you'll find out about something that is a menace. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. It's like a, a monster movie uh, that suddenly uh, where a monster emerges from the ooze somewhere and really threatens uh, the way that we all live. And I didn't know about it. And uh, what am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, high speed rail here in the state of Washington. Now, this has been a disaster almost beyond description in the state of California, where they are now talking about a, a total cost of $150 billion. Here in the state of Washington, they're to looking at a total cost of maybe $63 billion. And where are they building this ultra-high-speed rail? Uh, this has been looked at by now the legislative uh, Joint Transportation Committee at the legislature in Olympia, and also more constructively still by the Washington Policy Center. 
Uh, Charles Prestrud is the uh, director of the Coles Center for Transportation at Washington Policy Center. Okay, how fast is this ultra-high-speed train supposed to go if we actually go through the agony of trying to build it? <laughs> well, the uh, the initial concept had a top speed, uh, a desired top speed of 250 miles an hour. But the uh, <laughs> review that was that's done, that's faster you know, than anywhere, right? It, that's right. The uh, the analysis that was done by the consultants the legislature hired <clears throat> uh, pointed out that there weren't any high-speed rail lines anywhere in the world that operated at that speed ordinarily. And, you know, it's it's far faster than, for instance, the uh, train that operates in the Northeast Corridor between Washington, D.C. and New York and Boston. The Acela, so yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, 250 miles an hour, and uh, the where's it supposed to run? Well, they were very cagey about this. The idea is that it'll be roughly in the I-5 corridor, starting in Portland, going to Olympia, Tacoma, Seattle, Everett, Bellingham, and on up to Vancouver, B.C. But the exact alignment was never specified. Um, the reality, though, of course, is if you've got trains that are going 250 miles an hour, or even half that, 120 miles an hour. They can't very well use the existing railroad tracks because those tracks are not set up for such high speeds. The turns are a little too tight, and they have a lot of existing freight trains that are chugging along at maybe 25 or 30 miles an hour, and uh, they just don't uh, operationally uh, fit well with uh, high-speed trains that would be whizzing along at many times that speed. So they'd have to find a, an entirely new alignment somewhere uh, that goes between Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver, B.C. Well, at least those are big cities. I know in California, the train, I believe they've spent, uh, what is it, it's about $40 billion so far building a train between Bakersfield and, and Modesto, which uh, you just have to laugh because uh, these are not population centers at all. Uh, that that train doesn't go 250 miles an hour. It goes, what, 100 miles an hour? Well, initially it was supposed to be a very high-speed train as well. And I think they had been talking about, you know, just a couple hours travel time between Los Angeles and San Francisco. But as is typically the case with these projects, when they actually get into the design of it, they discover that it's hard to uh, have it achieve the kind of speeds and travel times that were initially uh, proposed. So uh, that that segment through the Central Valley will probably be pretty fast, probably not 200 miles an hour, um, because it's it's flat, you know, and it's pretty straight. Uh, there aren't a lot of obstacles that it needs to go around or over. Uh, but you're absolutely right that there just isn't much population there, so. Uh, even if it goes fast on that one segment, it's not going to be carrying very many people. Okay, what what is the need for this? I mean, I, I have been struck that our, our system of air transport, say, between Portland and Seattle, 
uh, works pretty well. I mean, Alaska Horizon Air does, does a pretty decent job. What is the need for this, and what would the cost be for taxpayers if if they do complete a train, say, from Portland to Seattle? Well, the <clears throat> the need is very much open to question. Uh, the initial study, if you can call it that, that was done for this project uh, just looked at total traffic volume in the I-5 corridor, and there is a lot, and it is growing, but not much of it actually goes between those specific cities. It's mostly a lot of shorter trips and a lot of freight, which, of course, this train wouldn't carry freight, so it doesn't solve that problem. Then they did a survey, you know, where they asked people, you know, would you like a high-speed train in the I-5 corridor? And if you don't tell people how much it's going to cost or what the alternatives are, a lot of people will say, hey, sure, sounds great. Um, but the reality, as you point out, is that there's air service that is even faster for connecting those cities in the I-5 corridor. And there's about 10 airports in the I-5 corridor between Portland and Vancouver, B.C., five of which already have commercial air service, and the others easily could if there was demand for it. So my thinking is that if demand in the I-5 corridor grows, uh, there's going to be a lot of competition, and it would be very difficult for a high-speed rail line to compete. Well, particularly, who who's going to pay this this bill? I, I'm I'm looking at the material, which is everyone should look at it. So at our website, on a click on the Washington Policy Center, we have a banner at michaelmedved.com, but. They say that the 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 expenditure to build this thing would be thirty six to sixty three billion dollars. I mean that's that's um, even more than a light light rail, the uh, Sound Transit, right? I mean we're well, we're, it, we're it's the same order of magnitude, but um, as you know, Sound Transit has already experienced tens of billions of dollars in cost overruns, and I am <laughs> fearful. Shocked that this project would experience the same kinds of overruns for the same reasons. One is they have to acquire a lot of right-of-way. And as we know, property in the I-5 corridor is not cheap, and it's only been going up. Second, you can't put a 300-mile rail line across uh, you know, a developed area without having to relocate a lot of utilities, you know, uh, power lines, sewer lines, uh, cable, uh, all kinds of stuff, natural gas lines. And that's something that's bitten Sound Transit over and over again because the utilities expect Sound Transit, logically, to pay the full cost of those uh, relocations. Uh, it ends up being hundreds of millions of dollars for a huge project. Are, are, are we ever going to get a chance to vote on this? Well, that's a good question. Um it hasn't gone on the ballot yet, and it would be problematic because, as you point out, the cost is so great, uh, and the taxes that you would be needed to pay for it would be very high. And uh, it's also difficult because you would need the approval of voters in Oregon and Washington State and up in British Columbia. And it's not clear to me that uh, they're all going to see this as something that's worth spending so many tens of billions of dollars on. Okay, folks, uh, please find out about this.
uh, get active in, in stopping it before they come for your money. Uh, this is a, a nightmarish proposal. Uh, we will be right back on the Michael Medved Show. Information available. Go to michaelmedved.com. Click on the banner for the Washington Policy Center for indispensable information. Michael Medved Show. Snap out of it! Well, thank you, uh, Roseanne Barr. Uh, Email that just came in, not from Roseanne, but from someone named Chris. He says, I just heard General McCaffrey say on your show that Trump would withdraw all support for Ukraine and allow Russia to take over. I think that is nonsense. Trump was the reason why Russia didn't invade during his time in office. Uh, The... The idea is what what General McCaffrey was talking about, what I had asked him about, Chris, was Trump's statement, which he has repeated again and again and again and again, is that uh, it will take only 24 hours after he is elected president and he'll be able to end the war. And basically what, uh, what General McCaffrey was saying, and I think it's true, is the only possible way he would do that would not be because... Uh, Vladimir Putin likes him so much and because they're such good buddies and they are soulmates and they understand each other, et cetera, et cetera. President Trump has repeatedly called Vladimir Putin a genius. The only reason they would be able to end the war in 24 hours is because Trump would come bearing a white flag saying, "Okay, we quit. We surrender. Uh, We're going to cut off any aid to Ukraine uh, and force them to agree to end the war on your terms. Now, he won't tell what his secret plan is for ending the war in 24 hours, but we do know some of what President Zelensky said about this. Uh, I played a translator actually giving the Zelensky line Uh, What he talked about was he said, uh, look, uh, uh, President uh, Trump was president, and if he had the idea of making peace uh, between Ukraine and Russia, there already was a war going on. Uh, Russia had already at that point taken over Crimea, and uh, they were taking over parts of the Donbass and the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, Joe Scarborough actually reacted to uh, Zelensky commenting on how Trump had once handled the Ukraine-Russia situation while he was president of the United States and leader of the free world. Uh, This is clip 10. Well, it looks as if Donald Trump had already these 24 hours once in his time. We were at war. Not a full-scale war, but we were at war. And as I assume, he had that time at his disposal. But he must have had some other priorities. Well, I mean, the priority, (laughs) Elise. Fabulous. Elise. The priority was shaking down Zelensky. (laughs) For dirt. Again, just to speak slowly to Trumpists that still, like, believe in conspiracy theories about the first impeachment, Congress passed legislation Mm -hmm. to send defensive weapons to Ukraine. Donald Trump blocked those weapons to go to Ukraine. 
because he said he wanted Zelensky to get dirt on his political opponent and on his political opponent's family. That's the guy that says, oh, I could end this in a day. As Zelensky said, he had hundreds of days to end this ongoing conflict since 2014. He never did it. In fact, he did just the opposite. He actually blocked Congress initially when they were trying to send weapons to Ukraine. Okay, and uh, by the way, this also brings up one of the other stories of today, which we're going to have to find out more and more about. But there's a um, uh, a story about the exposure of a very sketchy guy named uh, Gal Luft. And I believe that would be the way he would pronounce his name. He's Israeli-American. He was at one time a lieutenant colonel in uh, the Israeli Defense Forces. And uh, then uh, the headline in Business Insider is indictment against Gal Luft, who accused Biden of corruption, is unsealed. And uh, they point out that uh, Republican members of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, that's Jamie Comer's committee, used a complex chart to present their preliminary findings into an investigation into financial dealings by President Joe Biden's family during a news conference at the U.S. Capitol on May 10th, uh, 2023. Uh, Gal Luft it was their main witness. You remember that uh, there were two people. There was one, Gary Shapley, who was an IRS agent, and there was somebody else who was also supposed to be a whistleblower, who had all sorts of uh, evidence about Hunter Biden being uh, somebody who had sold out to the Chinese, who was getting all kinds of Chinese money. Well, it turns out that that guy was a guy, this guy, Gal Luft, who um, claimed that he has proof of Hunter Biden profiting off his family name and deals with China. Luft himself has now been charged by the U.S. government with false statements and being a, wait for it, foreign agent of China. After months of secrecy surrounding the charges against Luft, the indictment has been unsealed. It was unsealed yesterday. Uh, a missing witness into the investigation of Hunter Biden's business dealings who claims he has proof of the president's son's corrupt connections to the Chinese government has reappeared after he himself is accused of being a Chinese agent and by the way, and he fled custody. He was just apprehended in Cyprus, I believe it was. Uh, days after Galluf publicly dared the Department of Justice to unseal the indictment against him, alleging the charges he's facing are a political attempt to cover up the claims of Hunter Biden's corruption, officials did just that. The U.S. Attorney's Office on Monday, yesterday, released the indictment against the U.S.-Israeli dual citizen, who was arrested in Cyprus in February on charges of willfully failing to register under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, FARA, arms trafficking, Iranian sanction, sanctions violations. Yeah, I remember how uh, <laughs> Roseanne Barr said that Zelensky was not a, uh, a, a good Jew. Uh, well, this is not a really great Israeli veteran if he's violating uh, Iranian sanctions uh, with uh, on their arms 
and making false statements to federal agents. Uh, prosecutors say that while Luft was serving as the co-founder of a strategic think tank analysis of global security, he agreed to covertly recruit and pay a former high-ranking government official and advisor to then-President Trump to publicly support policies that would benefit China without registering as an agent of a foreign entity. Uh, Luft told the New York Post that the high-ranking official is the former director of the CIA, James Woolsey, who also worked as a consultant for Luft's think tank and was a senior advisor in Donald Trump's White House. Prosecutors allege that uh, Luft created a written dialogue between Woolsey and an associate at uh, CEFC China Energy, a state-run energy company, which was then published in a Chinese newspaper online. Uh, none of this is uh, particularly encouraging. Um, and uh, they say here in Washington Post, Gal Luft, co-director of the Maryland-based Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, is accused of recruiting and paying an unnamed former high-ranking uh, U.S. Uh, official. This is the reaction by James Comer, who had relied on uh, Gal Luft as one of his major uh, witnesses in pursuing Hunter Biden. Uh, clip 12. Well, the timing is always uh, coincidental, according to the Democrats at the Department of Justice. Look, here's what I know about Gal Luft. He was getting paid, like the Bidens, from CEFC. We want to speak with everyone that we can find who was also on the payroll of CEFC like the Bidens. And anyone who says we shouldn't take Gallup's allegations seriously discounts the fact that the Bidens wanted to share office space with CEFC, even going so far as to say they wanted, that Hunter wanted to make an extra set of keys for both Joe Biden, Jill Biden, and the president's brother, Jim Biden. So this company that Gallup was working for who he was getting paid for is the same company that the Bidens not only were getting paid for, they were also sharing office space with. So, Okay, uh, we, we will obviously be following up uh, on this, but it, it does complicate the obsession uh, with Hunter Biden. Uh, meanwhile, there's an obsession with a lot of Americans living alone. Is this a threat to our health as a society and our health as individuals? I will be talking to Professor Eric Kleinenberg on that problem for this greatest